0: Good morning, you may be seated. I bring you uh, greetings from the saints at Heritage Baptist in Mansfield, and today I'm going to preach to you uh, with our thoughts mainly on uh, the doctrine of sanctification and some things from the beginning of Romans chapter 5 that I trust will be of encouragement to you. So if we're going to be thinking about sanctification, how about we begin with a definition from our catechism, and we'll, we'll hold on to this as we move through um, the text today. From the Baptist Catechism, question 38, it asks, what is sanctification? And the answer is, sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die into sin and live unto righteousness. So, sanctification, this progressive, step-by-step process by which God, through His Word and His Holy Spirit, is working on His saints, uh, moving them further and further to full conformity to the image of Christ, putting off the old, putting on the new. This is a daily work that the saints are engaged in, but obviously... We don't get to work on sanctification in an easy environment. Uh, Our own sins that we're trying to put off make sanctification hard. And other people's sins, maybe they're trying to put them off, maybe they're not, that makes it hard on us. And the world that we live in does not receive us who are disciples of Christ. And so all of this together makes the road of sanctification at times can be a very, very difficult and painful road to travel. There are um, lots of distractions. There are lots of discouragements that threaten us. And it's good for us to remember, to start off this morning, that these sufferings that we face in this life can actually be put to good use. And I want to show you from the Scripture today that these sufferings are, in fact, Uh, put to good use for the Lord's people. Uh, Our good and kind Savior promises that the tribulations of this hard here and now life can be used to achieve very profitable results. Um, I know it's hard for us to remember that, especially when we're in the middle of something that's very difficult. But they can be used for very profitable results. So if you're interested in seeing how this works and how it may be worked out in your life, then I'd like to encourage you to pay close attention to our text today. I think this will be very helpful for you. Our text is Romans 5. Let me read to you the first five verses. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. But not only that, but we also glory, that is to say, we rejoice in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. All right, so we're thinking about sanctification, and let's think about it under four main points today. Here's point number one. The road of sanctification rests upon the gospel foundation of justification. The road of sanctification rests upon the gospel foundation of justification. Back to our text. Notice what Paul says. Therefore, having been, what? Justified by faith. None of us are justified, that is to say, none of us are declared to be by God to be righteous in His sight because of our own good works. None of us are justified because we've made such good progress in sanctification. This is really, really important to remember. Therefore, having been justified, how? By faith. That's the foundation for our sanctification. There is, as Paul's already said in this book, He has said back in chapter 3, verse 10, he said, there are how many righteous? None. And he also said back in chapter 3, he said, by the deeds of the law, how much flesh will be justified? By your own works, by your own law-keeping? What is Paul's answer? Again, no, no one. There is no flesh. But there is a righteousness that's revealed. It's not ours, but there is a righteousness that's revealed. It is spoken of by the law and the prophets, It's not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of God himself, and it's through faith in Jesus Christ. That's Romans 3 verse 22. So it's not through our own works. We need to establish that at the beginning today. It's not by our own works that we are justified. It's not even by our own growth and sanctification that we are declared to be righteous in God's sight. The gift of Righteous, the righteousness of God into our account before him is a free gift of grace given to all who believe. It is by faith. You have not been justified. You've not been adopted because you've done so well in sanctification. The saints are on the road of sanctification having already been justified. Notice what Paul says, having been justified by faith. It is an act. It is a declaration that God makes. It's a legal declaration. This one is right in my sight. But not for the sake of your righteousness, but for the sake of the righteousness of Christ imputed into your account, and that received by you by faith alone. There are none of us who are righteous by our own works. Salvation is a gift of God's grace. It's not a payment that God gives to you because He He there's some kind of debt that you have worked up, or that He there's a payment that He owes you because of your own righteous works. God doesn't owe you anything. It's not a payment for a debt that God owes us. Justification is the act of God's free grace wherein He pardons all of our sins. And He accepts us as righteous in His sight, but only because of the righteousness of Christ imputed and credited into our account before Him. And we receive it by faith alone. So it's the poor in spirit. It's the broken over their own sins. It's the humble who see that they have no spiritual currency to bring to God and to buy their salvation. The poor in spirit... They they recognize we, we have nothing. They simply cast themselves before the Lord and they say, Lord, have mercy upon me. I'm a sinner. So our path of growing as saints in holiness of life is paved upon the indestructible foundation of Christ's obedience, not our own. If I'm I'm preaching in obedience to you today, and I will we're going to be thinking about our own obedience but it rests upon the foundation. If if we're safe with God, if we are right with Him, that foundation is not our obedience. It's Christ's obedience, having been justified by our obedience? No, by faith in Christ. So there's point number one. Let's make sure that we establish that at the beginning. The road of sanctification is traveled upon this foundation of justification by faith alone. Point number two. The road of sanctification is traveled with two words for you to think about. Peace and access. The road of sanctification is traveled with peace and access. Back to our text. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace In which we stand. The road of sanctification is traveled with peace and access. That'll be very helpful for you to remember. Sanctification can be very difficult. Sanctification, this daily growing, putting off, putting on, growing in faith, growing in our repentance, growing in our obedience, growing in our conformity, this is difficult, is it not? It's difficult and it's painful but it need not ever be a road of despair, and it need not ever be a road of hopelessness, because it's a road paved with peace and access. Let that be your daily meditation when it's so hard to put off your sins, and they're staring you uh, back. When you look at the mirror and all you see is this sinner staring back at you, meditate upon these truths from God's Word that it's a road traveled, If your faith is in Christ, it's a road traveled with peace and it's a road traveled with access. We who have received by faith alone and Christ alone God's gift of the forgiveness of our sins, do you know what we have? We have peace with God. Contemplate that. We have peace with God. The word peace can sometimes refer to that personal feeling, right? And there are feelings that we can have. There's, a, there's that personal experience of calm, or that personal experience of that, the, the, the calming of the turbulence of soul, and sometimes the word peace can refer to that. And we certainly can enjoy that calming of soul when our meditations are upon these wonderful things that pertain to gospel promises. But notice that here, Paul's not describing the personal feeling of peace that we may have when our contemplations are all upon Christ. Paul is speaking not of a personal feeling that we have. He's talking about a status. He's talking about a condition. He's talking about a relationship between us and God. And he's saying that this status, this objective status of our relationship with God is in Christ, it is a status of peace. Now think about the change that we go through from before conversion to after conversion before god saves us what's that relationship between you and god how would what's the status it's a status of warfare right you and your unrepentant rebellion and your unrepentant hatred of god and then uh, god's very fair and just wrath upon you it's a condition of enmity it's a condition of warfare there's no peace it's a, it's a relationship of hatred and warfare. It's a relationship between enemies. But, having been justified, uh, if our sins have been forgiven... If our debt to Him has been covered, if our account before Him has been filled with His own righteousness, then God can rightly and justly declare that our status with Him has been changed to a condition of reconciliation. It's a, it's a condition, it's a status now of peace between you and God. Contemplate that. Do you suppose that that would be helpful and encouraging to you in the difficult days of growing in holiness? That'll encourage you and that'll strengthen your soul. This word that you're listening to, this this Savior that you're giving your heed to and your obedience to, he's established peace between you and God. Peace. It's a peace that'll never be revoked. That'll encourage you on this road of sanctification. The warfare and the conflict are resolved in Christ. God removes His wrath from you, having fully poured it out upon His Son on the cross. God places His acceptance upon you. He places His adopting love upon you, seeing you dressed in the imputed righteousness of His own Son. Yes, we were enemies, but by the death of Christ we have been reconciled to God. So, dear precious little lambs who belong to the Lord, the road of sanctification so much of the time You will feel so weary, but God has reconciled you to Him in Christ. You are reconciled to Him. Dear saints, you can therefore walk the remainder of your days growing in grace. You can walk the remainder of your days with your diligent attention upon the Word of God, taking it in, feeding upon it, putting it to practical use in your life, pursuing this practical growth of holiness of life, Saints, you can do this with this assurance that your heavenly Father pities you and your heavenly Father protects you and your heavenly Father provides for you and all of that without any reluctance at all on His part, but with full divine delight. Dear saints, in Christ you have peace. You may feel that sometimes. You may not feel that sometimes in the personal experience, but the status is declared between you and God is a condition of reconciliation. You, sometimes you may feel that more or less. Sometimes the calming in your own soul, sometimes it's more and sometimes it's less. But here's an assurance. Now this peace with God is not an unsteady truce. Sometimes we think about that word peace and politics and between world governments and you know uh we think of north korea and south korea and there's this very uh, uh there's this maintenance of a very suspicious demilitarization zone right but that's not the peace that we have with god can we be sure about that notice the second thing that paul mentions there It's that in Christ we also have access. That's the second word to think about. We have peace. Having been justified, we have peace with God. But having been justified, we have access. Notice that word. This will be helpful to you on this long and difficult and painful road of sanctification. You have access. You know what that is? That's a tabernacle word. When you hear that word access, that's a, that's, a, that's a temple word. It is a throne of God word when you hear that word access because this is access to the throne of grace with boldness. This is what you have if your faith is in Christ. How is it possible that you have access into the throne room of God? It's because you have a high priest. It's because you have a high priest, dear saints, who went before you and made the offering of his own body. He made the offering of his own life. This is how you have access. He made an offering with his own blood, with that spiritual application upon the heavenly mercy seat. You remember those words from Hebrews chapter 4? Seeing then by faith in this promise that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. That's how we make our way. We come before the throne of God boldly. We come to the throne that is identified to us as the throne of grace. There is an offering made for us. There is a priest who has entered for us into the presence of God. We have access to unending grace. We have access to mercy. We have access to grace in our time of need. And in a fallen world, when is your time of need? On the road of sanctification, when is your time of need? It is all the time, isn't it? So when may you make your approach, when exactly can you make this kind of bold approach to the throne of grace? But all the time, any time. We have peace with God. We have access. We have access. God's grace of reconciliation, And this grace of access to his throne with boldness, it's a grace that will remain. Notice that Paul says, we stand in this grace of justification. We stand in it. It's firm. It will not be revoked from his people. That's helpful to remember, isn't it? On the road of sanctification. That will serve you well. That will encourage you and strengthen your soul to continue with this hard work of going to battle against your sins. Who am I? Am I on this road? I have my sins pardoned. My account before God has been imputed with the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, I have peace with God. Therefore, I have access to His throne of grace. The road of sanctification it rests upon this gospel foundation of justification. And it is a road that is paved the entire way with the unbreakable assurances of God's love and of God's welcome to his throne. Doubt not, dear saint, if your faith is in Christ. Doubt not the love of God for you, regardless how tomorrow's sanctification goes. His love cannot be revoked. His access that he's granted to his throne will not be revoked from you. Come before the throne and ask for that help in your time of need. Yes, it's a difficult road, but you know what? The road of sanctification is a safe road to be on. It's safe. Point number three. The road of sanctification can therefore be traveled with rejoicing. Back to our text. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we not only stand in this grace, but we rejoice in it. We not only rest ourselves in the grace of justification and peace with God and access to God, but we also rejoice in it. How so? As Paul will later describe in uh, of this very letter here in chapter eight, when Paul will say, And we know how many things work together? We know that all all things work together for the good of his people. And where does that good end up? It ends up in glory. How many of those who are justified end up being glorified? Therefore we rejoice. Therefore, we rejoice. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You know what this hope is? It's not hope the way the world sometimes uses this word. This is not wishful thinking. All right, this isn't uh, blowing out the candles on a birthday cake. It's not, th- it's not that. This is certain expectation. That's what this word hope means. It's the certain expectation of the glory of God. The road of sanctification can be traveled with rejoicing because God works everything for our safe deliverance to the ultimate good of glory. Do you suppose that will be a helpful thing for you to remember tomorrow when the road of sanctification is hard and your sins and your corruptions? are whispering all kinds of enticing things into your ears. When you feel so weary, when you are tempted to despair because of your own sins, look at where the road of sanctification ends up. Look at at the final destination of this road of sanctification. We have this certain expectation of glory. That's a helpful thing to remember. We're looking to the future We look to the foundation, which is justification. We look to this paving on this road of peace and access, but we also look by faith to the end of the road. All right, so I've already asked you this question. Paul will get to it later in the book, but how many things is God working together for the glorious ultimate good of his adopted children? How many things is God working? All things. Now, do you really believe that? are you really convinced of that? if you are now you're ready for verse three but let's make sure that you're really convinced because if you're not verse three is going to be difficult for you but if you are if you are convinced that God works all things for the safe deliverance of his people into glory now you're now you're ready for verse three back to our text all right we're, we Verse 3, Paul says, and not only that, but we also glory, that is to say, we rejoice in what? Oh, now, now this begins to poke and prod in our souls a little bit. Yes, we we rejoice when we think about justification. We rejoice when we think about peace with God and access to his throne of grace. We rejoice to think of this certain expectation we have Of the end of this road, but now Paul says, because of these things, we can also rejoice in tribulations. And notice that Paul speaks as if this is the normal, or it ought to be the normal experience for normal, ordinary Christians that we're going to rejoice in tribulations. Rejoicing in the middle of the present suffering. Do you rejoice with a certain expectation of the future deliverance into glory? from that final deliverance from suffering and from sin, that's good. But are you rejoicing also in the present trials? Are you rejoicing in the present tribulations and pressures and disappointments and sufferings? If not, well, then you need to learn to have a proper long-term perspective on the present sufferings of this hard life. God, Sovereignly manages all things for the good of his people. Yes, for the ultimate good of glory, God manages all things for that. But yes, God is also sovereignly managing all things for the present good of his people. Contemplate this. It's not just for your ultimate good, but he's managing everything. The the sufferings, the trials, the tribulations, the pressures, he's managing all of it for your present good. He's managing it all for your present day-by-day growth. Are you interested to see how this works? Here's point number four. The road of sanctification is sanctifying. Now, aren't you glad that you went to all the effort to get up this morning, get yourself dressed, and get yourself here so you could hear me tell you that. The road of sanctification is, it's sanctifying. And I know it sounds ridiculous for me to put it that way, but the point that Paul is about to make is that sanctification is a process of spiritual refining. It's not instant. And it's not easy. Growing in a good daily holiness of life is a process. It's a daily road of the progressive step-by-step development of spiritual refinement. Putting off the old, putting on the new. Growing day by day in conformity to the image of Christ. Does your heart yearn within you for this? Putting off these sins. Putting on Christ? Does your heart yearn to have a steadier and a more mature hope in God? Does your heart yearn within you for this? Then you have to submit yourself to this step by step processing of your soul away from fear and unto confidence. This step by step processing of your soul away from sin and unto purity. And so here's Paul's point. We can rejoice in suffering because God assures us that he uses suffering to produce growth in practical holiness. Back to our text. We can glory or we can rejoice in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces what? It produces perseverance. Perseverance. That's how you can rejoice in the present sufferings because you have a long-term perspective on it. All right? Your, Your thinking goes further than just past the end of your nose. You're looking to the end. You're looking for these ultimate things that God is working in the present sufferings. And God here assures us that He uses sufferings to produce perseverance. Dear saints in the Lord... Take this assurance, feed your soul with it. Your Savior is not toying around with you in your present sufferings and trials and tribulations. Your Savior is not using these, are trying, uh, using these tribulations to try to make you stumble, and He's not using them to try to push you away from Him. He's using these things to produce a strengthening in your soul. He's using these things, and He has designed these things to lead you to a maturing of your perseverance with Him and with His gospel promises. Your present sufferings are not being managed by God to threaten your endurance in faith, He's not using them to threaten your endurance in obedience, but instead to make faith and obedience more constant and less shaky and less intermittent. Do you recognize that within yourself, your confidence in the gospel promises? Do you recognize the intermittent nature of them within your own soul? Depends on how the day goes, right? Right. Sometimes things can really shake you when you think of when uh, when you then turn to think about the faithfulness of God's love, the steadfastness of His love to you. Some things can come along in life and really um, make your faith intermittent or make it shaky. Do you recognize this? Do you desire to have a faith that is less intermittent, an obedience that is less intermittent and more constant? Notice the assurance that God gives us in His Word here. Tribulation doesn't threaten your perseverance with Christ. God is actually managing it. In what way? To produce it. It sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? But this is God's assurance to us. Think of the example from 2 Corinthians 12. You remember there where Paul describes himself being severely afflicted, buffeted, struck by some severe suffering. He pleaded with the Lord three times for relief. And what happened? Paul says that the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And here's Paul's conclusion. Therefore, I most most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So you see what Paul's teaching us in Romans 5, he lived it. Paul learned to rejoice in his own various sufferings because he learned to see the Lord strengthening his faith. He learned to see in those things the Lord maturing his trust in the Lord's strength and the Lord's goodness, the Lord's wisdom, the Lord's faithfulness. Paul grew because God was sovereignly managing whatever that severe affliction was. He was managing it not to push Paul away from him, but to draw him even closer. Paul rejoiced in his sufferings. as He saw what the Lord was working in his own soul. But that isn't the end of the road of sanctification because strengthened perseverance with the Lord, notice in our text, then produces or it leads to this next step called what? Character. All right? Character. A stretched and exercised and strengthened perseverance with a more constant faith, with a more constant obedience, no matter what, produces the fruit of Christian maturity. Can you think of a Christian who's mature? Do you know how he got that way? Do you know how she got that way? They weren't born that way. Right? God has grown them by His Word and His Spirit through many sufferings and trials. God has arranged things in their life to make them grow unto this maturity that you may now observe in their life. God has stretched them. God has exercised them. And this is an assurance that he gives to all of his people that he loves us enough to stretch us and to exercise us and to put us into situations where we must have our faith in Christ if we're going to make it. We must grow in our confidence in his faithfulness. The Lord doesn't use suffering to make you more insincere. The Lord isn't using suffering to make you fake. He assures us that he uses all things for this growing for the for a strengthened clinging by faith to Christ. unto maturity. unto a growing maturity in your faith, in your repentance, in your obedience. William Hendrickson describes it this way, he says, "...just as the refining fire of the goldsmith frees the gold and silver from the impurities which in the natural state cling to them, so also the patient endurance or perseverance of God's children purifies them." That is, by the operation of the Holy Spirit brings about proven character, a character that has successfully sustained the fiery test. Do you know what the Lord is doing with you, dear saints? You may be in a situation of great suffering and trial and pressure now. The Lord can use those to move you to Christian maturity. Not to a state of greater weakness, but to a state of greater strength. Even more clinging to Christ when you see your need. God is is burning off the chaff. God is burning off those impurities. And the result, the leftover is a more pure and mature Christian character. Again, think of Paul's own example. Notice in our text, the next step then is that when you... Go through this sanctifying work, and when you see in yourself growth and repentance, when you see in yourself growth in your faith, that produces strengthened hope. When you see that you have come through a trial, and when you see that you have been preserved by your Savior with an even stronger faith in Christ, your hope is nourished. Your hope is strengthened. Your certain expectation of God's unfailing love, strengthened. Strengthened. Your certain expectation of your ultimate deliverance to glory, it's strengthened. All right? Can any of you identify with this? You look back on a trial that, when you were in the middle of it, you thought, "I'm going to die. There's no way I'm going to make it through this." And you did, and you look back and you can say that my faith in Christ is now actually stronger. You look back on that amazing work that God did and that amazing work of preservation that God did for you and you look back and you see God was faithful and He brought you through. This, Paul here says, it leads to this strengthened hope. Our certain expectation of God's faithfulness, it's, it can waver sometimes, can't it? But God can grow it, bringing you through things and you look on that And God strengthens your hope when you see this display of His faithfulness to you. And you came through it. And your faith isn't more weak because of it, but your faith is actually made stronger through that. Isn't this what your heart is yearning for? The road of sanctification, notice it begins with this hope of glory. And through a perseverance and a refining process, through many sufferings, the road ends up with hope of hope of glory. So you can't have your vision dominated by the present sufferings. And that's easy for us to do, isn't it? To get tunnel vision down on just the thing that's causing you trouble. You have to see what God is building. You have to see what God is maturing in you. You have to remember where, uh, to where God is delivering you. God is building perseverance. He's building sincerity of faith. He is strengthening your personal confidence in His faithfulness to deliver you. And then finally, verse 5, notice that this gospel-based hope, this certain expectation of God's present and ultimate deliverance, does not and it can never lead to shame. Do you suppose that'll be helpful to you tomorrow on the difficult road of sanctification? Your confidence in Christ will never be put to shame. You're clinging to Christ no matter what now. You're clinging to him and you're clinging to his promises. will never be put to shame. Never. You will never be proven to have been wrong or to have been mistaken because you clung to Christ no matter what it will never disappoint, never. Now, I'll disappoint you, and somebody else will disappoint you, and this broken world will disappoint you, but Christ never will disappoint you. Your hope will never be proven to have been foolish. That'll help you when life is hard. That'll that'll help you when your sins seem to be so hard to put off. And repentance seems to be so hard. And just a simple faith in Christ seems to be so hard to find. You'll never be put to shame. You'll never be proven to be foolish for having your faith in Christ. Let me leave you with uh, a few applications. I hope these will be of encouragement to you. Number one. We rest in in Christ's righteousness alone as we seek a practical purity of life. We rest in His righteousness alone as we seek a practical purity of life. We behold the love of the Father first, and then with gospel hope we pursue practical sanctification. Sanctification is not growing more and more in reliance upon ourselves. Sanctification is not growing in a reliance upon our own righteousness in order to be called the children of God. Having been justified by faith, we pursue holiness. It is with reliance upon someone else's obedience, not with reliance upon our own. If you get rid of grace, your sanctification will be strangled. Grace is the air that we breathe in. We have peace with God. We have reconciliation with God only on the basis of the free gift of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. That's where we rest. Sanctification does not improve your reconciliation with God. You are reconciled to Him upon the obedience of another your pursuit of sanctification does not improve your justification having been justified by faith in Christ we now put ourselves to this work of sanctification do you see where you rest do you see where your confidence is we are legally declared righteous before god upon the basis of the work of christ We are adopted into the protections and provisions of his house, having been saved by grace. So, if you would like to do some measuring, if you want to measure your own progress in holiness, don't measure it by your own reliance upon your own work. (laughs) Measure it by your growing reliance upon your Savior no matter what happens in this life. Beholding, uh, considering, understanding, believing, relying upon the strength of the Father's love is the first and ongoing principle in your sanctification. We're not working to try to gain God's love. We work because we have His love. We work in this environment of the full assurances of the love of God to us in Christ. All right? So, does your sanctification need a jump start? Go back to the gospel of free grace. That's where you begin. Does your pursuit of a daily purity of life need more life? Then go back to the promised free gift of justification given, not to the self righteous but to those who simply say, Lord, have mercy upon me, I'm a sinner. Go back to the promised fruits of justification, like a true and unbreakable reconciliation with God. Go back to these things like access to the throne of grace to help you in your time of need. Go back to grace if you need encouragement in your daily pursuit of purity. Let me offer to you a second application Suffering produces perseverance. Take this home with you today. Contemplate this. Don't ever forget this. Receive this assurance from God's word. Suffering in his saints produces perseverance. I know it almost sounds wrong. It certainly sounds counterintuitive. It certainly is a rebuke to how we might ordinarily think about sufferings our initial reaction is probably to think that trials and tribulations and persecutions and sufferings are all a very dangerous threat to our perseverance with Christ. We tend to think that way ordinarily. But not when under the sovereign management of our adopting Father who has promised that He uses how many things? He uses all things for the good of His justified, reconciled, Adopted children. He arranges everything for the sake of safely delivering his children to glory. And whatever the trouble is that you suffer right now, whatever the pressure is, whatever the disappointment, whatever the persecution that you are under at this present moment, God is sovereignly managing all of it for your ultimate safe deliverance to the shores of glory, and he is using all of it for your present good. To grow you, to teach you that He can be relied upon no matter what, to teach you the faithfulness of His love, the steadfastness of His love, the steadfastness of His promises to you. The point of your present suffering is not to move you away from the hope of the gospel. The point of that is not to destroy your confidence in His promises but to fasten you more firmly to his promises. Perhaps to wean you away from some false promise in this world and to draw you closer to the gospel promises that can never fade away. There's nothing like trouble in life and persecution to uh, help you to see how the treasures of this world are so quickly fading away, and how temporary they are. They're very effective things in God's hands to remind you of the value of justification and the value of the treasure of reconciliation above all other treasures, the value of the treasure of access to His throne above all other treasures. Progress in holiness, progress unto glory, that's a treasure that will never fade. So now you can read perhaps with greater uh, appreciation from James chapter 1 when James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know what? That the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Call me crazy, but it sounds like Paul and James are preaching the very same thing. Count it all joy, James says, because you know, by the assurances here in God's words, you know that this testing, this fiery, difficult testing of your faith is for the producing of steadfastness, not for the eliminating of it. We're being further and further refined, We're, our hope is being strengthened, so... Rejoice in that. That ought to make your heart glad when you think about the good thing that the Lord is working in you, and He'll use all things for that. Suffering produces perseverance. Now, I want you to think about this in terms of exercise. This will be helpful to you. The process of sanctification involves stretching and exercising your faith in Christ. Do you have faith in Christ? Good. Expect him to lovingly exercise it and to lovingly refine it. He loves you enough to do that. And suffering can be a a very effective program for stretching you and for exercising you. As physical resistance improves the endurance and strength of your physical parts, it is also true that either physical or spiritual suffering and resistance can be used by God to improve the endurance and the strength of your faith in Christ. You are a creature. And that in part means that you need this process of stretching and exercising to grow. You have to put your muscles to use if they're going to grow and if they're going to be strong. And the same is true for your faith. It has to be stretched. It has to be exercised. It has to be put to use in God's program of exercise. And God can stretch and exercise your faith. He can stretch and exercise your repentance and your obedience by placing you into difficult circumstances. And I know that suffering is not fun. But our faith must be put through the testing. It must be put through God's refining fire for the remaining impurities of unbelief and immaturity to be burned off. But again, don't leave the gospel behind. Don't leave the gospel behind. God isn't trying to pull the rug out from under you. The foundation that you rest upon is irrevocable, dear saints. Let that be of encouragement to you. Let that nourish your soul in the difficult days. Putting off disobedience and putting off this weak faith and growing, as Paul there described, uh, that he himself went through. If your heart treasures holiness, you can rejoice in your sufferings. If your heart really treasures holiness, growing in your clinging to Christ no matter what, then you will receive whatever it is that the Lord has in store for you to stretch you unto that and to grow you unto that. Let me leave you with this third application then. And this is very important for you to remember. And it's this, that tribulations without the gospel are just tribulations. Suffering is not a means of grace. Don't, uh, don't wake up on a Sunday morning and think to yourself, oh, this past week was so bad. I have suffered so much that I don't need to go to church. God must have done enough. No, it's not a means of grace. There are people all over the world who are suffering all kinds of things. They're not growing in their trust in Christ. Everybody suffers all the time. The world is broken, but it isn't producing perseverance, all right? You have to be resting upon the gospel for suffering to be of any profitable help for you. Suffering in and of itself is just suffering. It's not a means of grace. If you're not taking in and holding tenaciously to the gospel, suffering is just suffering, Just because your life is full of suffering doesn't mean that you're saved. Can you think of anything more tragic? That a human being would suffer a lifetime of the ills and the problems of this broken world only to then die and immediately enter into eternal torment. To live a life of torment to then die and enter into eternal, unending anguish. Can you think of anything more tragic? Suffering without the gospel, it's just suffering. The preaching of the gospel is a means of grace. You have to take with you the preaching of the gospel in these sufferings if they're going to be of any help to you. We're sanctified. Christ prays there in John. He prays that we will be sanctified by what or how? By the truth. And the Word is the truth. You've got to bring this with you. If suffering seems to only weaken you, if suffering only seems to discourage you, if it only makes you bitter against God, it may be that you've never put your faith in Christ. It may be that you are still holding on to all the wrong happiness and all the wrong treasure if suffering only produces a growing bitterness in your heart against God. It may be that you've never put your faith in Christ. It may be that you're still clinging to all the wrong kinds of treasures and you're angry when these treasures get taken away from you. Or it could be that you are a true believer but sufferings have only become misery and they've only become opportunities for for complaining because you have been neglecting the means of grace which deliver to your soul the gospel of grace. You'll have to consider for yourself. I don't know what's true for you, but it is possible even for a believer to begin to put your feet upon this path of complaining and bitterness because you've been neglecting the very gospel which would strengthen your soul and give you the proper perspective upon the sufferings that you're now in. You'll have to think about that for yourself. It's possible that you just need to put yourself back to the faithful attendance and the faithful feeding of your soul upon the means of grace, preaching and prayer and Lord's Supper and remembering your baptism. It's not just suffering that you need to grow in. You need the gospel. You need the preaching that will nourish your soul with, I don't know, something like justification by faith alone. You need this preaching of the gospel to nourish your soul with peace with God access to his throne of grace. Perhaps per- perhaps that has become neglected and perhaps that's why the suffering has become so difficult. You've got to go back to the gospel. So dear saints, having been justified, having been reconciled to God, having access to his daily mercies, count it all joy when you meet up with suffering. God is working to bring you through the gates. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the time that you've given to us to be in uh, your good and glorious word today. And Heavenly Father, I pray um, uh, for your dear saints that you will strengthen their souls today with these assurances that they've heard from your word Heavenly Father, by the word and by the pouring out of your Spirit upon your people, strengthen them and encourage them and steady them. Heavenly Father, together with one voice, we pray that you would draw us back to this gospel, this gloriously good news of of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And by this, we pray, strengthen our hearts, steady our souls, and We confess to you that we have not um, had our meditations and contemplations upon these truths as we um, should have had them, and we have uh, many times become very forgetful. We pray that you would forgive us of that sin, that you would refresh us with this truth uh, that we have heard today. Um, Lord, we look to you, for we are weak, and we need your help to endure. And Lord, we pray that um, you would help us to carry your word and your gospel with us as we have to walk through these various trials and sufferings. And we pray, Lord, uh, that you will grow us. We thank you for loving us enough to do this work in us. And we thank you again for the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we thank you for, for coming to this world and for the offering of your own body for our sakes. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you and we praise you for this. And we do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.